questions because I always have, I always go over and I'm sure there will be questions. How many of you have seen this film already? American Sniper. One, two, three, four. Yeah, lots. It, it, is, it is already one of the highest, I, they're making records for its box, box office grossings. Already 200, as of last weekend, over $280 million in ticket sales for theater tickets, which is pretty significant. So um, it's already a pretty popular mo movie. Um, I still have one more minute. Any observations from people who've seen it? Because clearly you're here because you've seen it. You liked it? Thumbs up? Yeah. Two thumbs up? Yeah. Right. We haven't seen it, so not be here. No, well, here's the deal. I always give a little bit of a spoiler, but I'm not going to tell you the ending for sure. But if you've watched, yeah, if you read the news, you know the ending, actually, because it is based on a real-life story. So um, I won't, one of the things to say about any movie that I do here. I think it's worth watching even if you know the ending. I am one of those people who will read the last page of a novel because I don't have enough time to read it if I don't like the ending. And so, and it doesn't mean it has to be a happy ending. It could be anything. I want to see how they get there. If I'm interested in where they go, then I want to see how they get there. And so, um, but some books you just know how they're going to end from the beginning. And those ones. There was one recently where I was like, nope, I know where this is going. I'm not reading this. I don't have time for this. Sorry. So, but you, have, this is a great movie and a great one to make time for. Okay, I'm going to officially begin. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you for the way to you, that you speak to us through story. Thank you, Lord, for being the author of each one of the stories of our lives. And we thank you for the story of this one man's life. And we ask, as we look a little bit at the story of Chris Kyle's life, um, Lord, would you speak to us about your story, your bigger story, your salvation story, and your purpose and your plans for us as your children and your disciples. And so we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are looking. There's one seat up here, and there's one right there. We're a little cozy in here and that's in part because Lent begins this week. Lest you forget, look around you, this is a working space. Um, so come and join uh, all of the Lenten festivities starting this week. Well, um, American Sniper is a film that's directed by Clint Eastwood. Um, it stars Bradley Cooper who is known as being kind of a comedic actor and yet here he is in a very serious role that he does really well with. Um, this film is nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Actor. And it's based on the true story of the legend, is what he was called, Chris Kyle. Um, Chris Kyle is, was a Navy SEAL who had more sniper kills than anyone else in U.S. military history. He had at least 160 um, kills. And one of, his, um, one of his kills was from over 2,100 meters, which is almost impossible. It's just mind-boggling. 21 football fields away, he was able to take someone out. And all of these kills, as you'll see, are um, defensive or proactively protecting um, U.S. troops. So he wrote a book about his experience, about his four tours in Iraq, and his book was published by the same name, American <coughs> Sniper, in um, 2014. So um, I'm going to show you this first trailer. You'll be able to see a little bit of what the film is like. Also, it's R, so there's violence, and there's swearing, 
And sometimes I'm not very good about getting the clips without the cussing. So if I've managed to let one slip, I apologize in advance. you see? Isn't that weighty? Some of the choices that he had to make. Um, that was actually, not to give it away, but if you see the first few minutes of the film, that's, that's how the film begins. Um, that was his first kill. And he came back to the barracks and said to one of his comrades who had not gone out into the field that day, that's an evil like I've never seen. It's just not how I wanted the first one to go down. And the reason why he says this is part of his whole mission in life is to protect the weak, to protect the defenseless, to protect those who have no recourse to another defender. And um, he sees that as his mission in life. And the reason why he sees that in part as his mission in life is because of his upbringing. So please forgive the quality of this clip. This is Three the only one. In this, world. this is the only uh, place I could find it online. So it's a little grainy, but it kind of gives you the sense of it being a memory, a flashback. So this is a flashback to his childhood. He's the older of the two boys. Three types of people in this world. This is his father. Sheep, wolves, and sheepdogs. Some people prefer to leave it. Evil doesn't exist in the world. And if they were on their doorstep, they wouldn't know how to protect themselves. Those are the sheep. And then you've got predators. They use violence to prey on the weak. They're the wolves. And then there are those who can bless with the gift of aggression and overpowering needs to protect the flock. These women are a rare breed. 
lived in front of wolf. They are the sheepdog. And we're not raising any sheep in this family. I will whoop your ass if you turn into a wolf. But we protect our own. If someone tries to fight you, or tries to bully you, little brother, you have my permission to finish him. The guy was picking on Jeff. Is that true? Yes, sir. Yes, he was. Did you finish him? then you know who you are, you know your purpose. Can everyone hear it? I know the speakers are not ideal. The father, again, the father is using violence to hammer this home to his son. So that's, the value of that is questionable. Could they learn this without being on the receiving end of violence from him? Did you see him take out his belt? Um, so that is a sobering piece in the film is that some of this defense, there is violence involved in this protection. And certainly this, um, the character in the film, Bradley Cooper, plays Chris Kyle. He is, he is a man who is ready and not afraid to use violence to defend the weak. Um, and so there is this aspect of violence in his life that is sobering on one level. And then also when you see him in the line of duty, you see how many lives he's saved. Um, he had 160 kills but you never see the number put forward by the media, at least, about how many lives he saved through protecting those who were on the ground. There is um, this idea of um, wolves, sheep, and sheepdogs. And he is growing up with this mentality that he will be a sheepdog. He will gladly sacrifice himself to be able to protect the sheep. Um, so there's that aspect of it, this calling and this purpose for him as a sheepdog. Then there's also this very real understanding of there being evil in the world, this idea of the reality of wolves. And this is a complicated issue. Do we ever want to say human beings are evil? I think human beings do evil thing, things that um, we are fallen in and we live in a fallen world and we are complicit in our fallenness and all throughout human history you can just look at certain people and it's pretty easy to say wow that person was evil question mark or is just the things that they did um, were those things evil that is a an interesting question to keep asking and for Chris Kyle he says that person is evil and yet when you see him in Iraq, um, when he's deployed there, he is, he distinguishes. It's not a broad ethnic thing for him. He's able to say why people are evil. They're evil because of what they do. There's one nemesis in the film who's a real life person um, who was a leader in the Iraqi resistance whose name was the Butcher. And you see some of the ways um, he had harmed uh, his own fellow citizens in Iraq um, in response to any kind of affiliation that they would have had with American soldiers. Just seeing that little part of the film is disturbing enough to realize there is real evil in the world. I'm still reluctant to say individuals are evil, and yet you see some individuals 
so totally consumed by doing evil that I can understand um, the drive to say that person is evil. Um, he says, it's an evil like I've never seen before. So he, he goes, he enlists, he finally, he ends up enlisting, he starts out as a cowboy, that's why we saw him with his <laughs> hat on, he's ready to go to the rodeo there in that clip I just showed, and he did that all during his 20s, and it wasn't until he was 30 years old in 1998, he, or a little before he was 30 years old, he felt called to go and to become, um, to enlist in the military. And part of his sense of calling about that was that he witnessed on television, he saw you know, the bombs in 1998 that went off in Kenya and in Tanzania, if you remember that. Um, and in hindsight, seeing how that led up to 2001 and the fall of the Trade Towers, um, you can see kind of a, 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 a similar, you know, the part of the cause the causes are the same, and there's this growing um, aggression in the world. And so he, after he sees those bombs in 1998, he goes right to enlist. And he goes to the office, and he starts to say, they start to ask him, if he, how ready is he to fight, and has he fought before? And he ends up being enlisted, not just in the Marines, but in the Navy SEALs, the elite. Um, someone probably in this room could tell me more about the Navy SEALs than I myself know, but um, they're really hardcore, let's just say that. And you see it certainly in the movie in the way they're training. Um, and so he's about to go into, um, into battle, and they find out he has met the love of his life, Taya, and that's another aspect of the story. Sienna Miller plays his wife, and throughout the course of the whole film, you see this tension. He loves her and their children. He desires to protect her. And yet he is even willing to forgo getting to be with his wife and his family during those early years of their marriage and during the years when their children are born. He sacrifices that to be able to serve in four different tours in Iraq. So he's willing even to sacrifice some of the benefits of a normal, a normal life to be able to go overseas. Um, but when, when he is um, dating and meeting Taya, um, he... He ends up saying 9-11 happens, and they see it on TV, and he just is so ready. He says, I'd lay down my life for my country. And so they find out um, the day of their wedding. I don't know if that's actually the timing. Maybe they make it more dramatic for the film. They find out on the day of their wedding that his, um, his group, he will be headed to Iraq. He's, and she says, your heart is beating so fast. Why is your heart beating so fast? And he looks around at the wedding party, and he sees his brother, who's also in uniform, that younger brother that he protected so long ago, and he's protected for his whole life. And he says, that's because I'm not the only one going to war. He's not afraid for himself. He's not afraid of the sacrifice that it might cost him. He's afraid for his weaker brother. So it also helps to see what he does as a sniper. You know, there is some, some backlash from Michael Moore about snipers online and things like that. What does a sniper do? Well, what they called it in, um, in this film is they called it um, Overwatch. And they called it, we'll see this in a minute, you'll see how this young man feels about Chris Kyle. It's called Overwatch because Chris Kyle or any sniper would be on the top of a building 
while the Marines, again, I don't understand the complexity and the strategy of this particular kind of warfare, but it seems unlike anything else um, that we've known. Basically, um, they had um, asked everyone to retreat and said that this is an occupied zone. Any military-age males that they saw, they could assume were part of the resistance. Um, and they would try to take a building, they'd sweep through and sweep through to make sure there weren't any of these higher leaders in the resistance in these homes, and they'd go through one by one of these homes, and that was very dangerous. So the Marines were down on the ground doing this sweep through each home and going, um, as you saw in the beginning, with the convoy, going so slowly through each town trying to clear it all out but he would be up on the roof looking out for them, looking out for any kind of enemy fire, looking out for anyone who was going to try to throw a grenade at them or try essentially to kill some of those Marines on the ground. So his job was to catch someone before they could blow up American soldiers. Um, and so um, they called it overwatch. And, um, and Basically, when, when asked, when the real Chris Kyle was asked in an interview whether or not he felt guilty about the people that he had killed, the real Chris Kyle said in this interview, for the most part, the public lives in a dream world, unaware of what these people are doing to themselves and to our guys. They're unaware, too, of what needs to be done to prevent them unaware of the cost. Um, so here's um, a, little, a little clip that will show you just what kind of a hero he was and how people responded. Excuse me, sir. awkward isn't he all throughout the film and this is not Bradley Cooper Bradley Cooper is not awkward he's acting there one of the things that you see Chris Kyle doing in the film is compartmentalizing it, it must be overwhelming for him the emotion um, and you see him just sort of receiving this how do you receive someone telling you you're a hero okay He's very toned down. Also, um, you see the high cost of war all throughout the film. Not only is it a sacrifice for him to put his life in danger, um, but it's as though there are two different heads that he has. And the real um, Chris Kyle in an interview said that his wife said to him at some point that he would have to hang up his cape when he came home because he's so ready to protect someone 
um, from any kind of harm. There's a scene where his newborn baby daughter is in the nursery at a hospital, and she's at the hospital where she's born, and she was crying and crying, and the nurse is comforting another baby and, and not tending to her. He flips out. He flips out, and his reaction is not normal necessarily you know certainly he's upset and it's a good thing to be upset about but he goes over the top and part of that is because he's so ready to defend the weak and the powerless he's so charged he's jumpy around sounds there's a lawnmower at one point and he hears sounds of warfare there's a car drill in that scene that we just saw and he startles because it sounds so familiar to sounds that he's heard in warfare over in Iraq. Um, he has unnaturally high blood pressure. Um, and Taya, as I mentioned about that um, emotional compartmentalization, his wife Taya says to him at some point, and you saw flashes and images of her sorrow and her grief as she's struggling with giving up um, a life together with her husband during those early years of the marriage. It's really a sacrifice, not just on his part, but it's a sacrifice on the part of his whole family. And um, Kyle in his book and Eastwood in the film do a really good job of showing that. The wife says to him, she says, I'm making memories by myself. She's raising their two small children by herself. And then she says, even when you're here, you're not here because he's guilty. He feels guilty about being home with this family when there's a war going on. One of his colleagues says, war puts lightning in your bones and makes it hard to hold on to anything else. Any thoughts about that? Any relationships that you have with people in the military where you've seen that kind of phenomenon where it's hard to go back to civilian life when they're back home after being on tour? Or any personal experiences you might have with that? Well, I have yeah. an acquaintance that was faced with the very same problem in Vietnam that he was faced with in his first kill. Really? He was... He was out guard for his platoon on a sweep. Yeah. Which they set up four guys perimeter while the breast took a break. <clears throat> and he said he, a child went running toward the group screaming G.I., G.I., G.I. And he said, I knew he had to do it and I killed him. And he said, I pulled the trigger and the kid went down and he said, what have I done to myself? And the child blew up. He had 10 pounds of C3 on him. Yes. With a fuse broke. Yeah. Mm. And that's one of the things in that kind of suicide bombing mentality. It, it, it's a necessary and yet a horrible thing at the same time. And you see that with that woman and her son in the first, first clip. You see it in another clip. There's a child with some kind of launcher. I don't know what kind of military weapon it is um, that would shoot more of a missile instead of a gun. And um, he takes out the, the adult who was originally going to shoot it. And there's a little boy who's just playing on the street and he looks around and he gets up and he goes over and tries to pick up the gun and it's way too heavy for him and he struggles and he pulls it up and he starts to aim and you hear Chris Kyle saying, don't, put it down, put it down, put it down. And it's like he's praying. It's like he's praying because he doesn't want to have to kill that child. Put it down. Put it down, 
put it down. And in that instance, the child put it down. There's just this moment of relief. And you see, um, you just experience the pressure and the stress and the trauma firsthand in the film. I mean, it is an on-the-edge-of-your-seat film. Um, There's one thing, too, um, just to talk about his heroism. You see it in this clip from when he returned after his fourth tour. He, did, he spent a thousand days in country, which is above and beyond the call. Um, and this is a meeting that he had with a therapist after his fourth tour. Would you be surprised if I told you that Navy has credited you with over 160 films? Mm. Do you ever think that you might have seen things or done some things over there that you wish you hadn't? Oh, that's not me, no. What's not you? I was just protecting my guys. They were trying to kill our soldiers, and uh, I'm willing to meet my creator and ask for every shot that I took. The thing that uh, haunts me are all the guys that I couldn't save. I'm willing and able to be there, but I'm not. I'm here. I quit. And you can walk down a homeless hospital. We got plenty of soldiers need saved. Mm-hmm. Wanna take a walk? Sure. Isn't that interesting? What haunts him are not the ones that he had had to kill, but the ones that he couldn't save. And there's some question in the film, there's almost this subtle question, is this an unhealthy savior complex that he has or is this something else and I would argue some will say in the media this is an unhealthy savior complex that he has he's a megalomaniac I believe with all my heart it's not and I'll tell you why and there's some clues in the film but there are others outside Charlie do you want to say something
-hmm. because that's the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. You don't go in there and say, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. We're only going to, somebody said this recent thing in Congress was really a bunch of, uh, wasn't a bunch of uh, American soldiers attacking terrorists, it's a bunch of lawyers attacking our soldiers. You know, it just, evil is evil, call it what it is, take care of it. And, and sometimes, sometimes the violence um, done to be able to prevent worse violence from happening is a necessary step to take in order to protect the weak. Yeah, um, certainly. Thank you, Charlie, for that. For that. Um, you, you see um, his desire all throughout to protect the weak, that it's not a savior complex so much as he, he loves he knows that he's been equipped with this gift and this talent. And actually, one of the things that I found really helpful is in some of the interviews with the real Chris Kyle, he is very humble. There's a really good interview with him. He was on Conan, probably in 2012, late 2012. And he is just so humble. He is not strutting around for those um, for the title that he's been given, the legend. It's hard to be called the legend and still be humble, isn't it? <laughs> but what his real-life humility hints at is that he knows the gospel. He's humble there with Conan. He said um, that today um, he, there's so much advanced technology available to him. He's over snipers, for example, in Vietnam. He said, I'm just a monkey with a gun. He's very humble about it. He's not willing to take credit for it in terms of it being success or for how difficult it is. And that leads me to believe that he doesn't really have that kind of savior complex. Rather, what I would say that he has, and you don't see the reason for this, you don't see the motivation for what turns him into the hero that he is. Um, but I believe that he has a, the desire to self to, to sacrifice himself radically on behalf of others. You see little Christian glimpses throughout the movie. Remember in that clip I showed you second, there was a Bible on the table. He had actually stolen that from their church. And then you see him with it throughout the movie. He'll put it in his, um, in his gear when he's going into battle. So there is some kind of faith that he has. He is asked by one of his colleagues who has lost his faith in some measure. He is asked, you, you got a God? And he's like, well, yeah, of course. Don't you? His, his response is sort of, of course I do. Um, and he lives out his way the, way, the way he lives out his life in the fact that he is so willing to sacrifice for those he loves, first his brother, later his family, and then even at the end of the film, he sacrifices so much to be able to return to them emotionally. When you see him in that psychologist's office, he is dead. He is so labored with his guilt um, that he can't really engage with his family. He can't be present with his family. And he really shouldn't go back. Only a, a human being can only handle so much. A thousand days in country. And um, his wife says, come back to us. Come and be here with us. You're somewhere else and I can't reach you. And he works so hard to get back to the place where he's really present with his family, really present as a husband and as a father. Um, so even there, there is a sacrifice. Um, and so all of this concern for his colleagues, for his family, for his brother, um, it just shows me it really is genuine. I don't know about you that saw it, 
But I walked away from the movie floored. I walked away saying, wow, that's a hero. I walked away saying, wow, God grant me the grace to live my life like that. God grant me the grace to be able to love as well as that man loved. I was in awe. I felt inspired by it. And I also felt like um, it is a little bit of a cautionary tale that even in spending and being spent, um, there are those closest to us that we need to give um, the lion's share portion to. And that's what he came to realize with his family, that um, he, they were to be first um, before even his comrades and his country, um, his colleagues and his country, his brothers in arms and his country. And he ended up actually being able to put them first. But the question is, how is he able to give so radically? And who is he like in his radical giving? Well, there's a verse from um, 2 Corinthians that I just could not help um, but, but be so... Um, struck by, and I've been struck by it a lot in the last few months, and it seems so totally appropriate with the person and the character of Chris Kyle. Um, This is St. Paul speaking to um, the Corinthians in his second letter in chapter 12. Here is St. Paul. He says, here, for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, not your money. I don't want to gain anything. I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That is how well St. Paul loved those in his care, those to whom he was ministering the gospel. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And he's talking about monetary gain because he, um, the accusation was that he would not receive money from the Corinthians, just like Andrew said in the pulpit. He must not be a real apostle if he's not willing to depend on them. But we know that Paul had his own trade of tent making. He was able to support himself because he wanted to offer the gospel free of charge to those who are going to hear and believe for the first time. And he's saying, no, I really don't want your money. I want to be able to offer it free of charge. I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. So it is a monetary spending that he's talking about, but he also likens it to the sufferings and the persecutions that he experienced. Um, He was struck down, um, but not destroyed. Remember hearing all of that language also from 2 Corinthians, but there in chapter 4, he was persecuted but not forsaken. In other parts of his letters, he talks about how many times he was beaten, how he was stoned, how he was shipwrecked, and all for the sake of the gospel. St. Paul was spent on behalf of those to whom he ministered. He was sacrificed for them. He gladly, voluntarily sacrificed himself for them. And he wasn't just doing this on his own. It wasn't just something he came up with. He wasn't just a noble hero. And he, it's not just a pattern for those in leadership in the church. St. Paul sacrificed himself so graciously because he had received from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He was patterning his own life after the life of his Lord. 
And the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, the pattern of his life, is a pattern not just for those in leadership, for great apostles like St. Paul, or for great heroes like Chris Kyle. It's a pattern for every single one of us. Um, It's a pattern for every single one of us. We hear in Philippians chapter 2, when Paul is talking about the mind of Christ and what the mind of Christ looks like, he's saying in order that um, the Philippians would be in fellowship with each other, would be humble, would count each other, the other person, better than themselves. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The humility of Jesus Christ, the self-sacrifice, the voluntary, willing sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the pattern for every single disciple of Jesus, for every single Christian, um, for every single one of us in this room. And that is the pattern that we see Chris Kyle taking on in his own life. Um, He is willing to be spent. He is willing to spend his own life if it comes to it. Um, And so even though there is no specific discussion of the grace that Chris Kyle must have received, I can only conclude, because I know he's human. He's human. He's not perfect. He's not God. He's a hero, but he's not some kind of perfect superhuman hero. He could only have given so much and so graciously and so sacrificially if he had first received. And maybe because it's Hollywood, we don't get to see why and how he first received. But I believe he did first receive. I do think he is a Christian. I do think that he had received grace and salvation from Jesus Christ. Um, And I see that in his humility, the way he is so humble, that leads me to believe he knows Jesus, even though we might not know for sure if he knew Jesus. And so again, from 2 Corinthians, I think that Chris Kyle knew these verses. For the love of Christ controls us. We have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. Chris Kyle lived for others. And his pattern is the pattern of a Christian disciple um, that we each are called to live, to spend and be spent on behalf of others. Maybe not in big ways, by being um, a sniper in Iraq, by protecting the thousands of men that he protected, Um, but maybe in small ways. um, We are called to sacrifice and to give voluntarily of ourselves in a way that is too much for us. And in those moments when it's too much for us, that's when we call upon the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that by his power he would give us the strength to do whatever it is he might set before us. 
I'm going to pray in one more minute, but do you have any questions or any thoughts about this film that you want to share? I'll say this. The, the thing that impressed me the most that I have to say about this guy, I haven't seen him yet. The fact that he uh, enlisted in the Navy when he was just shy of 30 years of age. Well, when I went through Aviation Officer Canada School in Pensacola in 1976, we had one guy in our class that was 27 years old, and he was an old man. I think... He was, yeah. he was an old man. He had enough hair on his back to leave an Indian blanket, and he, and he could outrun anybody else in the class. I mean, he, was, yeah. he was a human fire plug. Charles and, and, and that's a it's a very rare thing for anybody to be able to go through that kind of training. Yeah. At that advanced of an age, he really is old. I think the film exaggerates it because his birth date was 1974, and so for him to be there in 1998, he would have been 24, or 1999, say he had another year before he was in training. So he would have been 25, but that still would have been way older than 18-year-olds, 22-year-olds. And they do call him old man, and they say in the movie he's 30, but I think that might be a little bit of a fiction. But still, yeah, impressive. One thing Please. you said about midway through, you yeah. said uh, the phrase horrible but necessary, and I think that kind of encapsulates what this uh, movie is, is trying to portray something. Yeah. And you can miss the point if you think it's only horrible, and you can miss the point if you think it's only necessary. Yeah. But if it's both horrible and necessary, uh, harkens to part in the toward the end of the New Testament. You right. Know, uh, both horrible and necessary. Right, and the and the, sor- the the cross itself, horrible, but necessary. And I think one of the things, just a little sub note about Clint Eastwood. If you've seen any of his films, he has very violent films, and I wonder if a lot of it comes from his being such a gunslinger actor in his early days he was always acting in violent films and I, I, I believe that he in his di- films that he directs is actually portraying violence but, um, but showing it in order to give us a distaste for it showing us violence in order to say we're like that and that might not be a good thing um, to, it's sobering yeah, copy. Oh, a slightly lighter note the ultimate cruelty of SEAL training yes. is to watch them run down the beach with that boat or that log in front of the Hotel Del Coronado while they're sitting up there having a Bloody Mary on the deck. Oh, have you seen that? It's, it's a yeah. There's You see some of their training. They get yelled at. They get hosed <coughs> down. They're in the water. They're um, Yeah, it, that was actually one of the amusing parts of the film on some level. And yet you're grateful for their sacrifice there. One more, Charlie. I agree, and I think that at that point, I will say, I think that at that point he knew he was not invincible. I think that's the only <coughs> moment where he thought, I just might die. I might die right here as a sitting duck and never see my wife and children again. Um, that was very sobering for him. So yeah, I know that was, it, it was a good, it's a great film. I highly recommend it. Let's pray before you go. Dear Lord God, thank you for the example of Chris Kyle and his love for his family, his love for his country, his willing to even, uh, even sacrifice himself on behalf of those loves.
Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us and the way that you, Lord Jesus Christ, came not to be served but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And so, Lord, even as we receive the great gift, the huge, enormous, horrible but necessary gift of your death for us, would we be transformed by it, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we too might be your disciples, might walk the road of the cross, might be willing to give of ourselves so sacrificially that others might see and know that you are God and you are good and you love us. So we ask all of this for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.